Hello, and welcome back to another episode of 101, A Beginner's Guide to Life. This week, we'll be talking about personal finance as Sandy Yong discusses her book. Sandy Yong earned a business degree at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. After graduation, she started her career and began saving her hard-earned money. She naively invested in high-fee, high-risk mutual funds and soon lost thousands with the bumpy roller coaster ride of the stock market. Feeling frustrated and upset, she decided to take her money matters into her own hands and became a self-directed investor. Sandy successfully generated a six-figure investment portfolio by the age of 27. Since then, she has been an avid real estate investor, owning multiple rental properties with her husband. As keynote speaker, she teaches female millennials how to invest in the stock market and in real estate. With her decade of experience and expertise, Sandy has published her award-winning book, The Money Master, Inside Secrets of How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay Safe. She has been featured in 70-plus media outlets, including the Toronto Star, NBC News, and Yahoo Finance. In addition, Sandy proudly partners with CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. For every book purchase, she personally donates $2 to assist this charity with mental health research. Her vision is to help people feel comfortable conversing about money and mental health, as both can be sensitive subjects that affect our daily lives. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are here this week with Sandy. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Hayden. Hi, William. Thanks so much for joining us, Sandy. So as we mentioned in the intro, Sandy is a best-selling author of a personal finance book. Tell us a little bit more about your book, Sandy. Sure. Yeah. So my book recently published caters towards millennials who may feel like they are intimidated or embarrassed to talk about money and maybe they have some money saved up, but they just don't really know what to do with it. You know, and they hear about retirement or savings. And so my book provides really great foundational financial tips and habits so that anyone can get started and learn about creating multiple streams of income. So Sandy, first, I love this topic. Uh, I love talking about money and learning about money. So I'm super pumped to get to hang out with you and just chat about uh, and chat about money and learn from you um, and, and learn from an expert. So just reading your book, it was really obvious that this is something you're pretty passionate about. So I would love to hear your background. Like, what is it? How have you gotten uh, passion for personal finance and handling money? When I graduated, uh, I was actually during the 2009 economic recession. And that's when I, well, I was fortunate enough to start working within the hospitality industry, planning conferences, and I had a very modest salary. But I knew that I needed to pay off my student loans right away. And then after that, I started saving money through every paycheck. And like most people, I went to one of the big banks and listened to one of the financial reps and they sold me on mutual funds. And I was like, okay, great. But I had no idea that I was paying super high fees and that they were super risky. My portfolio wasn't diversified whatsoever. And you know, a few months afterwards, I lost thousands of dollars and I was like, oh my God, like as a 20 something year old, I was so frustrated. This is like my hard earned money. And so that's where I decided to take matters into my own hands and started reading lots of personal finance books. And I started off reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I feel like that's probably a lot of people's you know, starter book. And from there, I was able to create success and I generated a six-figure investment portfolio with the stock market at the age of 27. But even then, like it was a very lonely journey because I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Like I just felt like a really big bunny nerd reading about all these books about money and finance, but I, I couldn't really talk to my coworkers about it. I couldn't talk to my friends, maybe a little bit like with my family. But other than that, it was just like a personal habit. And then 
fast forward, I met my now husband. And at the same time, he had introduced me to Toastmasters where I could improve my keynote speaking skills. And so we've been working on that for the past several years. And then lo and behold, when we were ringing in 2018, my husband was like, hey, I want to create a New Year's resolution. And this is where he was like, I really want to write a book. And I was like, okay, that's great. Like, honey, I'm all for it. Like, you know, by all means, like, I'll be your cheerleader. And I had no intentions of writing a book. But then we came across a weekend seminar where we learned how to write a book, uh, publish it, and also to market it. And most importantly, how to build a business around it. And so this really opened up my eyes to the possibilities of seeing how I could merge both my passion for personal finance and public speaking and have this book to help educate millennials on how they can also achieve financial success and create multiple streams of income. So that's how it all came together. Yeah, just reading just the intro to your or the beginning of your book, one of the first things that drew me in is I think Hayden and I both love Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I mean a decade ago in high school, I used to go over to Hayden's house and play Robert Kiyosaki's board game with his family about how to get financial freedom. And so that was one of my first introductions to the world of handling money. And so I I just like instantly felt bonded to your book in that moment where I was like, wow, we have such a great, like we, like we have a connection over this starting book, which is super cool. So have you, do you have any other, like any other resources that you would say have been really influential in your process of developing your financial literacy? Yeah, I mean, I follow several kind of, I guess I call them, well, financial experts or my idols would definitely be Warren Buffett. He's by far my favorite. I just really believe in his investment philosophies and just to see how much he's grown Berkshire Hathaway has been really inspirational to the point where my husband and I, we were supposed to go to the Berkshire Hathaway conference earlier this year, but because of the whole entire pandemic. Unfortunately, we weren't able to go, but maybe next year. And then even, um, you know, Tony Robbins, he also wrote the book Unshakable and probably a few others. So I think that one's also really great. Even David Bach, he's been around the industry for probably several decades. And so I just really love like reading all different types of personal finance books and just being able to learn like even like today, like I'm always learning new financial habits and things are always changing. And as we go through different lifestyle changes, our circumstances changes, we're, it's important to be able to adapt and adjust our financial goals that way too. So yeah, I definitely admire a number of key fellow financial experts out there who have helped guide and kind of shape my financial success. And now I'm able to pay it forward and teach other people how they can do the same. And I think one of my favorite things about your book is the fact that you're not afraid to reference other books that helped you along the way. I feel like there's so much of this mindset of, you know, you've got to talk about your own thing and you can't reference things other people have written. And that pigeonholes people into either reading like 15 books before they have any comprehensive financial literacy or trying to learn it on their own or things like that. So I really appreciated that you would reference like, hey, this book was really helpful to me. That book was really helpful to me. And you talk about a lot of the different issues that some that individual people need to overcome in order to become a successful investor. And out of my own curiosity, you know, you talk about uh, fear or lack of education and things like that. What, what would you say was your biggest hurdle to your current success? How, what, what was the hardest part for you to overcome in order to reach the level of success you've had now? Oh, wow. That's a really great, great question. I would say that probably one of my biggest, I guess, biggest hurdles would be maybe like self-doubt or just not being sure if I'm making the right financial move. So that's why like I find it's helpful where like I have a plan, like I, I have my own Excel sheet and I write down all the numbers and I make sure that before I make any, you know, investment trades that I've sat down, I've reflected, you know, I think about what the long-term goals are 
and not just the short term or like, you know, the ups and downs of like, you know, the daily market trends and what and whatnot. But I really think logically, and I try to take the emotions out of things so that I'm able to make an educated decision on when I'm, say, rebalancing my portfolio. And then that way I feel that I'm making those right decisions. But I think with every investor, especially when you're going the DIY route, like it can be very nerve wracking, especially for those who may be just starting out. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of ways to make mistakes and I've made a fair share of my own mistakes, but uh, they've definitely been great learning lessons. And that's why I'm able to help other people to ensure that they don't make the same mistakes that I've done before. So yeah, I think just like making sure that like when I do make a decision, I don't second guess myself and that I try not to let the emotions get over me because like I mean, we're all human, right? Like investing in itself, I think is very logical, but as humans, we're very emotional. And so like even the classic, you know, the classic phrase of buy low and sell high, like everyone gets it, it's so simple. But then when when we hear in the news, like, oh my God, like everyone's selling and everyone's panicking and then people feel like they need to follow suit. And then that's where people lose a lot of money. And then that's where like you really have to kind of, you know, go in the opposite direction and have that, you know, the right mindset and I guess willpower to not, you know, not be caught up in the daily buzz and all the all the flashing news out there with all of the horror stories. Because if you really put things into perspective and focus on the long-term goals of investing, then you'll realize that like all the daily ups and downs don't really matter over the long run. So obviously we're not going to have you give away your entire book in our podcast because it was actually a great read and I'm going to strongly encourage all of our listeners to go read it as well. You talk specifically about teaching women things that they've never discussed in regards to personal finance and how sometimes it can be a little bit of a gender gap in regards to who's educated and who seeks the education. Do you have any ideas of why that might be or maybe why that felt so significant to you in terms of making sure that your book spoke to women? Yeah, I mean, for for myself, I grew up in a low income household. And, you know, definitely my family dynamic was probably more of the uh, special, <laughs> unusual circumstance where my, my late mother, you know, she had to deal with mental health illnesses. And so it definitely took a toll on our family. And so my father was the sole provider for our family. And I think that seeing my mother having to rely on my father, you know, to be supported, it was really tough on her, where she couldn't really be independent herself. And I remember her telling me that, like, you know, when you grow up, Sandy, like, make sure that you are financially independent, and you don't have to rely on your spouse to, you know, to meet your financial needs. And so that kind of stuck with me. And I think that when I read articles and a lot of research, um, it shows that women tend to outlive their spouse. Yeah, they tend to live longer. They also tend to hand off all of the financial decisions to their spouse as well. And it's tough because even today, I think the average shows that women also make 80 cents for every dollar that a man earns. And so when you combine all of those factors, we're earning earning less than men, but we live longer and we put off the financial decisions in the household. Well, when a woman either becomes divorced or widowed, then all of a sudden she's kind of scrambling in you know, her older years, trying to figure out all of her personal finances, and it can be really tough and daunting. And so that's why I really encourage women, you know, as even when you turn into a young adult to start learning these financial skills. So then that way, you know, you understand how, you know, working up how to create a budget or how to, you know, create savings goals to investing and, and learning about different ways to earn income. And then that way, you will feel more financially secure. 
and also take responsibility for yourself and not just kind of leaving it to someone else to handle it for you. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense that you want to help people who who you feel like are undereducated in a, a field they need to be educated in. And so I totally, I respect that. And that's amazing. So I think there's another distinction that, that we want to address as we read your book, which is interesting, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy, you are Canadian. Yes, that's right. Okay, great. So Hayden and I are American, for those who can't tell by our accents. But we were just curious, are there some distinctions, we noticed some distinctions of, okay, that the advice was generally great for everything, but there were some specifics of like, okay, this is a Canadian system that we don't really understand. Are there things that you would want to address to American readers to say, hey, like this is what this means, or this is a difference you have to be aware of when you read the book? Yeah. So in terms of the Canadian versus the US terminology, I believe that, so you guys have the 401k uh, and the IRA, and then the Canadian equivalent would be the RRSP, which is the Registered Retirement Savings Plan, and then also the TFSA, which is the Tax-Free Savings Plan. So I think those are respectively the equivalents. They're pretty similar in terms of how they work. and then. With the RRSP, most people think about like using it for retirement. This is where you would, you know, take your um, earnings and then you can use it as an investment vehicle, whether you want to buy you know, index funds, exchange traded funds, GICs, bonds, and so on and so forth. You can do that. And it is a tax deferred um, investment where like, Typically, you wouldn't take money out of the RRSP until you're the right now the retirement age in Canada is 65. Whereas the uh, TFSA, this is where you take your after tax dollars, you can put your money again, you can purchase again, like your mutual funds or your index funds and ETFs, and anything that any type of capital gains that you earn. It is tax-free, which is great. Also not really, it doesn't have to be specifically for retirement. You can use it also as a retirement fund, but you also have the flexibility to withdraw money at any age. But then if you do draw withdraw a certain amount of money, you can, you can only put in that money back the following year. And there's other different types of, you know, tax implications and whatnot, but uh, that you would probably have to speak to another, you know, accountant regarding that. But those are generally kind of the main differences between the two. And typically, like they say that, I guess, like if someone were to, if they were wondering, oh, should I invest in my RRSP or TFSA, kind of similar to should I invest in my uh, 401k or IRA? then, you know, if you can contribute to both, and it's great, but if you had to choose between one or the other, here in Canada, they say that if, generally speaking, if you're in a lower income bracket, you can invest in the TFSA first. But if you're a higher, higher tax bracket, then you can invest in the RRSP because that's whatever money you contribute to that account, um, it is tax deductible. So yeah, so those are kind of the main differences. Thank you. We're, yeah, we're, we're stupid Americans, so the, the, the assistance is always nice. <laughs> so you talk about in your book all of the different ways you can invest your money, whether it's real estate, stocks, uh, you even discuss a little bit of cryptocurrency or cannabis investing and things like that. When someone sits down for the first time and decides that they are ready to start investing their money and you know have their money make money, passive income, all of that, what would you consider to be the first steps? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say even before getting started is one, making sure that you've taken the time to set your financial goals, because without having a financial plan, then like, what exactly are you investing for? Right. And nowadays, like you've, I don't know if you guys have heard about like Robin Hood, like up here in Canada, I've definitely heard a lot about Robin Hood lately. And William is a big fan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, I've read, I've read articles how like, 
uh, especially a lot of millennials who are like stuck at home and they have nothing else to do. They've been like dabbling into active like day trading um, in Robinhood. And obviously there's money to be made, but then and ever since ever since March, like the market, the stock market has rallied up. And so for people who just started in the past six months, they've been like really you know, fortunate to see their investments grow. But then like you also have to take a step back and think like, yeah, these are like really great short term gains. But then what happens when we have the next bear market crash? I mean, we're already in, well, at least here in Canada, we're definitely in a recession. So there's always talks about when the next stock market crash is. And, and so I think it's just important for people to think like, okay, well, like what do I like? Picture yourself and like your future self in say like 10 years. What what does your lifestyle look like? Because someone who say is single and maybe they want to uh, work remotely or travel the world when this pandemic lifts, of course, you know, that kind of lifestyle may be very different than maybe people who someone who is married and they have kids and uh, maybe they do want that you know, big dream home and live in the suburbs and whatnot. So, so taking the time to think about what you want to attract in your life and how much those goals will cost you and how much time you have to get you to, you know, where you want to be, that will help determine ultimately like how you want to um, invest. So like, that's kind of like the number one most important thing. Cause I find that some people, they don't really know what they're investing for and they don't really have a plan and so that's where it's easy to start you know dab- dabbling and like tweaking your portfolio and adding things and removing things and that's also where fees can go up too right when um, you start making all these changes so yeah so definitely goal setting is the number one thing okay so on that you right in the money master about a few different ways of investing like real estate and stocks and things like that do you personally have a favorite one you go with the most oh man that is that's tough i mean i i love each investing uh strategy you know it's kind of like it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges because when it comes to so when it, when it comes to real estate investing, how I got started was that when I met my my now husband, you know, he was the one who already had an investment property in uh, the downtown Toronto area, and that's where like I was really eager to also learn how how to become you know a real estate investor, and specifically what we focus on is purchasing condos. Uh, condo units. And then we ideally find like long-term tenants who help pay off our monthly mortgage, you know, by giving us rent. And then, you know, hopefully over a certain period of time, we'll be able to pay off our uh, mortgages. And then all that extra cash flow, we can either also put that towards more income properties, or of course, later on in life, enjoy a nice retirement. But yeah, for like the time being, it's been a really great experience because like how you're talking about the Robert Kiyosaki board game, just like when I grew up, I played Monopoly and that's kind of where it planted a seed in my head as a child where I was like, oh, wow, like if I own all these properties, I can charge people rent and make a lot of money. So (laughs) yeah, it's kind of cool. Like I think about it as like Monopoly, but it's definitely I would say like in in terms of comparing to the stock market, like being a real estate um, investor definitely requires more hands-on work. Like you can be contacted at any point in time, 24 hours a day, and your tenant can be like, hey, like my faucet's leaking, which literally just happened <laughs> a few weeks ago. Or like, oh, our... Um, washer and dryer is getting old we need it to be replaced to like even something even more horrific where oh like water's fault like water's coming in through the ceiling and now like the apartment's flooded and so like things like that like you just never know and you can't really it's hard to prepare for because there's like a million one things that can go wrong 
But then like when they do happen, like you have to be proactive, like you have to be on call and then figure out like, can you resolve that problem on your own? Or do you need to hire a contractor or some kind of professional, whether a plumber or electrician to, to help, you know, fix, fix, you know, the issue. And then, yeah, there's just a lot of like unknown costs or additional costs. So that can like really add up. But it's, yeah, it's nice to be able to use, you know, the bank as leverage with the mortgage and be able to see our property value increase over time. And then to just kind of over the long term, be able to take on, you know, additional properties and and watch that grow. But then like with the stock market, it's definitely more hands off at least, yeah, with my investing approach, you know, I think more about long-term passive investing, you know, with diversification in either like index funds or exchange-traded funds. And that one, I find that it's, for me, it's a bit, I mean, I've been doing it for like a decade now. So <laughs> to me, it's it's kind of pretty much like automated and I love getting dividends, like whether it's monthly or quarterly basis, that's always fun. And I think for people who are just starting out, probably investing in the stock market is probably easier just because it's lower capital required. Whereas if you want to own a piece of real estate, that would cost you a bit more. But there's different ways to get into real estate too, right? Like you can become a mortgage broker, a real estate agent, or maybe you want to flip properties. So there's definitely, you know, different ways to go about it. I already had my question locked and loaded before you said that, and you kind of led me into it perfectly. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you listened to our uh, real estate investing episode where we talked a little bit about the Burr method that he follows. Do you follow a similar method for your condos, or are you more of a, you know buying ready condos and renting them right out? Can you tell us a little bit more about your condo investing? Yeah, so for us, we like to purchase condos within – well, we have – Two here in Toronto, one's in downtown, then the other one's in our neighborhood in the north end of the city. And then the other one we have is a pre-construction condo. It's in Kitchener, which I don't know if you guys have heard of, but basically it's labeled as the Silicon Valley of the North. So that's like where... We've barely heard of Canada, so your help is greatly appreciated. (laughs) Okay. So Kitchener is kind of like where... Um, all of the startup companies are like, you know, uh, Google and like all the yeah tech companies um, are all located. So it's about maybe an hour to like an hour and a half drive outside of Toronto. Toronto being the financial capital of the North is something you even mentioned in your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With like the Toronto Stock Exchange and Bay Street and whatnot, kind of like a mini version of of Wall Street, but <laughs> yeah, and so we we like to you know have a condo where it has let's say yeah one to two bedrooms, and we look for ideally couples. Like we try not to rent out to um, single uh, people, only because with couples you've got two incomes coming in and. You know, we always do like a background check. We get their employers to write a letter. We, we check their credit score and whatnot. And and then ultimately, like we want to ensure that like they're happy tenants because, you know, it's tough if they keep like, you know, moving in and out and there's high turnover. So we ideally like to screen them and, you know, have high standards so that when they do move in, they're really happy with our service and then also that they want to stay like over a long period of time. It, it sounds like you guys do your own property management. Is that correct? You don't use a property manager? Uh, so funny, uh, funny how you ask that. So currently we do, we, do, uh, we manage our own properties. Uh, but I think about a year or two ago, maybe it's been two years now, we did decide to um, go with a property management company for the the condo that's downtown because like we live in the north end of the city. And so like if our tenant had an issue, like we'd have to spend like an hour in rush hour traffic just to get down to the unit and then probably spend another hour trying to figure out what the issue is and then 
drive another hour back home. Like it was just a really big time suck. And so that's when we were like, okay, let's try going with a property management company. And so we did that for like a year. We're on like a 12 month um, contract with them. And there were some up and ups and downs with them. Like, like, did they resolve our problems? Like, yes, they did. But could they have done them a lot quicker definitely but I think like with the one that we went with it was a big company where they manage like hundreds of units every single month so were we really top priority probably not and so that's where we were kind of like hey like they're taking you know a, a good chunk of our monthly rent to provide this service but like we just felt like some of the smaller issues like we could have resolved within like a few days but it would take them a couple of months so in our experience it wasn't really the greatest and like we didn't really feel like we had that grade of a value from it but I mean that's not to say that's like what other people experience I'm sure other people will have fantastic and like rave reviews but for us it, it didn't really fit what we needed and that's where we decided to end the agreement and kind of take back that responsibility but yes now we kind of have to like again be more hands-on and call around for you know different companies like if we need to like I guess last week yeah the faucet was leaking so we had to figure out like who made the faucet what brand is it like who can fix it and what part do we need and how long will it take to ship (laughs) things like that so yeah, so it's kind of fun. But I think like right now, my husband manages one property and then I manage the other. So we kind of both take ownership. And that's where like, we're able to kind of divide up the work somewhat equally. So yeah. It sounds like y'all have had quite the adventure figuring this out. Yes, definitely learned a, a lot about <laughs> repairing different appliances and and whatnot around an apartment, but it's been a really good experience. So yeah, it's great. So uh, I would love to to talk more about your book because I just found it so like you do such a great job of being concise and you do a great job of giving information that's just so uh, palatable, but also just like so informative and is just great at teaching. So do you have a chapter of your book that you think is your favorite or the most helpful or just the one you like talking about the most? Yeah, I would say that naturally the I think it's chapter 8 where I share with um, my readers on how they can create their own investment portfolio and I I enjoy that chapter just because that's kind of where it all started for me. And I find that a lot of people, like they have a really big hunger for investing, but they find that there's like so many different ways to go about it. But like for those who are interested in the self-directed investing route and they feel like if it is for them, then that's where I'm able to kind of help guide them to get started. So that's that's probably like near and dear to me. But I mean... Yeah, I I just kind of love being able to help educate, you know, the Gen X, Gen Y, you know, individuals who kind of like, for me, may have lost money in the stock market, but they might be afraid on like how to get back in or maybe they feel like, oh, I have to go with a financial advisor or maybe I can go with a robo advisor. And I also kind of shed some light you know, in the book on those different options too, because I know not everyone wants to maybe be as proactive and be hands-on with their investments. And so I also recommend like for those who are just starting out, a robo-advisor is like really great, especially like say, well, simple for instance, just because like, you know, you're taking advantage of technology and in and you've got it automated for you. I think it's like a fantastic way to go. So yeah, so I'd say like specifically investing in the stock market is my my favorite chapter. Glad that you brought up the robo investment because that's something that I was going to ask you a little bit more about later. I feel like, at least in my experience, you're the first person to actually recommend robo advisors. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with those? Because I feel like that's a lot less intimidating. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I've done some research in terms of robo-advisors. There's, I think, like a whole bunch of them out there uh, that you can choose from. I think that some of them are different. I think some are specifically in the U.S. and some are specific in Canada. But with a quick Google search, you can definitely see which are the latest robo-advisors that are out there. But but <clears throat> I guess digging deeper into that, a robo-advisor is great because you are combining technology and sometimes, depending on the company, they might have like a human advisor that comes with it as well. But it's great because you just fill out a questionnaire and then it'll figure out what your investor profile is, meaning like how much risk you can take, you know, based on what your goals are and your time horizon, meaning like how much time do you need to like, do you have to reach your investment goals? And then it will create a diversified portfolio for you. And it can also, you know, create really great charts and graphs that are easy to comprehend. And I believe it can also rebalance for you and whatnot. So it's like, it's got many great features. And the only reason why I didn't go with a robo-advisor is that, you know, on top of the say management expense ratios that you would pay for purchasing a fund and of course the trading fees for the robo advisor i think on average they charge like point i think anywhere from like 0.25 to maybe upwards of like 1% somewhere around that range with additional fees so for myself because i know how to create and manage my own investment portfolio i typically have i probably pay the lowest fees by doing it myself. But of course, I only have myself to go to for advice. So yeah. And I think that another great way you can do this, that you can start with a robo-advisor. And I think the minimums are also really low. Like I don't even think you need that much money to, to begin with. And then try it out, you know, for X number of months or maybe a year and then build up your confidence, uh, make a few trades, you know, try to get a hang of things. And then afterwards, maybe you decide like, hey, I can do this on my own. And then you can kind of like training wheels, you can take the training wheels off and switch over to your own online brokerage and create your own investment portfolio that way. So I think that's also another great strategy. But I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people could just, can, they don't really care to do their research and they rather spend time on other things. And so, hey, by all means, like pay, pay a bit extra in fees and just have a robo advisor do it for you. And that way you can't really mess it up. So yeah. Exactly. And on that note, for, for people who do want to do the research and invest their own stocks, do you have any recommendations on maybe how you choose? Do you follow uh, do you just buy whatever Warren Buffett says? I'm sure you don't, but that's, the, that's what most of us would do. Uh, are there any sort of resources that you like to use to help you pick between stocks or anything along those lines? Oh, okay. Well, mine's a Canadian resource. But in, yeah, so in Canada, there's this like really great uh, website. It used to be a magazine, but I don't think it's a magazine anymore. But it's called Money Sense. So I, f I find that they have like a, a lot of really great great articles, especially like every year they'll come out with like – you know, new comparisons or like new stocks that have come out and whatnot. But I mean, like, I think the general ones, like you've got Morningstar and even I just like now I just kind of look through, well, on Google Finance, you kind of have to know which which stock to follow. But yeah, I think even Money Sense, you can probably, from an American point of view, you can probably still, they reference obviously like American stocks too. So yeah, you can probably go there. <laughs> I do have a list of like a bunch of resources on my website as well, which we can talk about later. And yeah, you know, now like I've already created my portfolio. So I like might tweak it like once a year. So I don't really have to do too much research. So I think like once you've got like, you know, a fund that is, you know, diversified in a sense that you've got your global markets covered, whether it's U.S., Canada internationally and then you've got all of your industries or sectors covered then like you're pretty much gold and you'll probably do better than like you'll probably yeah probably do better than the well they say like in studies show that like if you 
just follow the average of the market, like you'll do better than most active investors. So yeah, so I think that's, you'll really only need like a handful of funds and they're, and it's funny because like companies out there will want to make it seem like it's really complicated. And yes, there's like thousands of different stocks uh, and funds to choose from, but really it just comes down to the basic, like plain old vanilla funds. So that follow the market or say like the, even the S and P 500 and yeah. So it's really not all that uh, complicated. I'm actually really glad that you brought up the resources page on your website because that was maybe my favorite thing that I got out of your book. Just because I feel like so many people like to keep this kind of things to themselves. It's kind of like what I referenced earlier with you being open to referencing other books that you like and that you learn from. I feel like you were so open with this wealth of knowledge in the resources page of your website. And it was definitely something that I was going to bring up later as well. Can you tell us a little bit about why you made that decision? Whereas other people may have like, you know, some people charge for that kind of information. Other people just like to keep it to themselves and seem like it's their own idea. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to just put that on your website so that anybody can use the same resources as you? Yeah, I mean, I'm all about, you know, being able to educate people and give them the tools that they that they need that can help guide them in the right direction. So, I mean, all of, yeah, those websites, it's just, they've helped me personally. And I just thought it was only fair to also share those resources, you know, with my readers and and followers. And because I know that it can be really intimidating for people who are just starting out and just, and you never know, like, you know, some websites, like, some websites like might be really clickbaity <laughs> to be honest so and like nowadays like there's a lot of articles that try to like lure you with these crazy headlines and then if you don't know any better you start believing that they're true so <laughs> it's, I think it's good that like I'm you know I'm glad that people look to me as a financial expert and that whatever rec- resources that I recommend that you know, I vetted them and that they're you know safe to use and they will help them out in the long term. So yeah, I mean, you know, the more resources I find, I'll keep adding to it as well. So it's just, uh, yeah, just a great way to, to share all the, the wealth and of knowledge. Personally, my favorite thing about your resource page is at the very top, you have uh, a way of cataloging your financial goals and your budget, which I think is just something I'm learning more and more every day. Would you say that budgeting is something that comes naturally to you or would you say it's something you had to learn? I would say I still had to like learn all the basics of like budgeting and whatnot. And, you know, my husband and I, like what we do is that we have a Google Excel document and then we've we keep track of our monthly budget and then we turn that into a yearly. We also have net worth tracker. So every say quarter or so we will update the numbers to, you know, see if our net worth is growing over time. And then we also have like like my like financial picture, like all my income sources and whatnot. And then also my husband's income sources. And then we kind of merge everything together and see like, okay, as a married couple, like how are we doing together? Because obviously we want to be able to retire together. So yeah. And then I think like for the way that like has worked, uh, the strategy that has worked for us is that we really enjoy keeping track of our income and expenses. So basically what I do is that I'll use a note-taking app on my phone. So I use Evernote and I create like a simple template and it just has like income, investments, savings, and then expenses. And then whenever you know I do online shopping or in-store shopping, whenever I make a purchase, I'll right after I you know, buy the item, I'll pull up my phone, open up the app, and then I'll write down the date, the name of the store, and then how much I spent. And then I'll keep track of this like on a monthly, like a monthly log. And then it's like really interesting to see like at the end of the month, like, wow, like I spent, you know, money on like food and like clothing or like 
dining out or like home decor, things like that. So it's like really fascinating because I think a lot of us know like ideally, well, you know, like where our money comes in, but then we don't know what we spend it on unless you look at your credit card bills as well. That's also another way. But I think it's just the habit of writing it down really helps to see like, oh, okay, like this is what I like really enjoy spending money on. And then we, you know, been able to take those numbers and put it to our budget, which we also monitor. And then it helps just with like having conversations to see like, okay, like, you know, this month, you know, we spent more money on like groceries because we're staying at home more. You know, do we need to up our budget a bit more? Do we need to like spend less somewhere else and whatnot? So it's just a great way for us to kind of know like how much to keep in mind like how much we can spend and then if we do go over budget or for under budget we can like make changes along the way to ensure that like we are living within our means and that we're not like overspending that actually brings me into the next question that I had for you. You talk in your book and you kind of mentioned earlier how important it is for couples to budget together and discuss finances together and make sure that everyone's on the same page. But I don't know that that's commonplace or the norm necessarily. So what do you have any advice for couples or you know, maybe one half of the couple that wants to change the way the finances are handled? How do you, how do you go about that? Did you have any difficulty doing that with your husband? Tell us a little bit more about the whole process. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, great. It's funny because like when when my husband, his name's Albert, by the way. So when we were like dating and like I used to be like, well, I mean, ever since my early 20s, like I've been really into money. But like when we were dating, like he had no idea that I was like so passionate about finance, like to the point where I was like telling him that that his bank was like ripping him off because he was paying high fees and then he wouldn't listen to me so funny but anyways and that now like we've definitely come a long long way and it was interesting one because of the book like because of the topic I chose is personal finance I think that really made him realize like oh wow like Sandy's like really serious about personal finance especially you know, she has so much knowledge and now she wants to educate millennials on this topic. And then two, you know, so in the in the midst of like writing my book, I was going to a lot of networking events. And so in the States, I don't know if you guys heard of, heard of FinCon Expo. I don't think we have. So like FinCon Expo is like the biggest uh, financial conference in the States. I think it has like 2,500 people every year. Of course, with the pandemic, it was canceled for 2020. But we went for the first time in 2019 in Washington, D.C. And this is pretty much the, well, they say it's like where money nerds and like people in like who are in the financial industry, they all meet up together and talk about everything related to money. And so that's where like, I think it really opened up our eyes to learn about like all these different, to meet like all these different types of people, like some people, you know, were in tens of thousands of dollars in debt and they shared about how, you know, their their whole journey of how they got out of debt. We also met like people who create YouTube videos to bloggers, of course, other podcasters and whatnot. And then and then one night we were invited to a film, a screening called Playing with Fire. And I don't know if you guys know what like FIRE stands for. So basically it stands for a financial independence, retire early. So playing with FIRE. And in the documentary, it goes through, it follows the life of this couple who um, I guess on the outside looks like they're living their American dream. Like they have really high paying jobs. They all drive a BMW and they live in a really posh neighborhood. But then when they sit down with a financial advisor, that's when the financial advisor tells them like, hey, like if you keep spending and living the lifestyle that you live today, like you're pretty much never going to be able to retire. And then they started like uprooting their life and, and you know, downsizing and like, you know, buying a secondhand car and made all these lifestyle changes so that they can not just retire at age of 65, but retire even like 
early, like a decade earlier um, than that. And so that's kind of where like it really inspired us to really reflect on like how we want our future lifestyle to be and what our, you know, career aspirations are and and to have those like open conversations about money and ensure that we have like mutual goals that we can work towards that like make us both happy and and so yeah so I think it was like a combination of like me writing a financial book and then us attending like financial events especially this FinCon Expo in the States really kind of helped shape the way that we handle our finances of course like me reading a whole bunch of financial books and like coming up and finding like really cool exercises to do and and whatnot so my husband's definitely come around and he's been more receptive in in terms of like learning these financial habits so yeah and I would say like for couples like if they're just like maybe if they've never started having those money conversations then to set a time set aside time maybe on a monthly basis and have like a monthly money date and where you go through your you know all of your income and expenses and your savings and investments but ensure that it's like a safe place for you guys to talk about these things where like you aren't judging each other uh, or accusing each other of like making purchases you shouldn't be like there shouldn't be guilt and shame because like that can just you know be very tough but like if you guys are if like the couple is open and they have candid conversations and that's where like they can learn and grow and 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 handle their finances together as a team so Sandy, obviously the first step in gaining financial literacy is reading The Money Master by Sandy Young. But if you were to say the next step after that to someone who's listening who wants to figure out their own personal finances, what would you say are the first things you would recommend to them? Yeah, so for anyone who's interested in learning more about personal finance and different ways to grow their wealth, then you can definitely check out my website. We did mention um, before that I do provide free resources, checklists, and tools. And my website um, is sandyyong.com, and that's spelled S-A-N-D-Y, yong.com and i'm also on social media so you can find me on facebook instagram uh, twitter at the money master book thank you so much for joining us sandy we really appreciate it i think your resources page is phenomenal it, the only thing with more information than that is your book itself great thank you so much hayden william i really enjoyed having this conversation any last notes that you want to leave our listeners with before we go? I would say just start taking action, um, no matter how big or small, especially if you've learned a tip from our conversation today, just dive in, do your research and so that you can start building your financial wealth. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sandy. And for those listening, would definitely recommend The Money Master. It's a great read to get you started on your journey to personal finance. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, any suggestions for future episodes, or would like to be an expert on our show, please email us at 101guidetolife at gmail.com or send us a voice recording through Anchor.